Um, once again, welcome to an Encounter Church, and today we're starting a series called um, Bad Blood. And now, bad blood sounds a, a little bit strong, right? But it's true that it exists in every person's life. And if you could disagree with that in some way, say, well, you know, there's, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm not perfect, but I don't have a lot of enemies, or I don't have people in my life that I'm disagreeing with right now. Things seem to be good in my immediate family, in my home, with my in-laws. Things aren't perfect, but things are pretty good, right? Even if you could acknowledge that, you can remember a time when there's been bad blood in a relationship. And sometimes even worse, sometimes you don't know that there might be bad blood, but it's true. It exists in every home. It exists in every life because life's not perfect, is it? You were not born, nor were your parents born in a perfect world. If you have children, they were not born in a perfect world. There is no perfect family. There is no perfect relationship. And the truth is, every single one of us have bad blood, or we've had it, or we will have it in the future days. Isn't that right? All of us. It exists. Some of it may be on a, on a smaller scale where it's maybe indifferent to you where it could be the coworker you just don't want to talk to, and you don't have to talk to. So it's not going to cause you to lose sleep. It's not going to cause them to lose sleep, but there's something in between that relationship that doesn't allow you even to be acquaintances, much less friends. The only time that you acknowledge that person is when you have to be in the same room because you have a meeting and both of you are supposed to attend that particular meeting. Or it could be in a spouse, a spouse relationship where there's bad blood, where you just assume we'll sleep on it. What that really means is we're going to scoot it on the rug and deal with it at a later time. But the reality is it's really never dealt with. All of us have bad blood. For some, me, I grew up with a wonderful mother and a wonderful stepfather. I didn't know that there was bad blood until I got older, right? I didn't know until I learned that my stepfather wasn't actually my biological father. I was like, oh, there's more, right? And I, and I learned over the years about the bad blood. And I didn't speak with my father for a long, long, long time. And in my 20s, I began to get to know him. And the bad blood actually came up over the years. And it wasn't a big issue because when he left, I was a little boy. And I learned about the bad blood. And the bad blood of 20 years ago affected 20 years later, right? So it's all different. We all have it. It all exists. There's bad blood. One reason I don't get on Facebook today is bad blood, right? I, I'm, I care about what you're doing in your life, and I don't care about your arguing, right? There's bad blood. There's bad blood in Washington. There's bad blood in Dedham. There's bad blood in West Roxbury. It exists in Boston. It exists in every city on the planet, in every home, in every life, because we live in a world full of sin. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your beliefs are, where you come from. You can't stick your head in the sand and ignore it. It doesn't exist. And we don't live in a town called Pleasantville where it would be nice to act like things were okay, but the reality is they're not. So what do we do about this? What do we do about bad blood in our life? Because here's the reality of bad blood. The lack of peace in your relationships, and that's what we're talking about. If we could define bad blood... It's the lack of peace in any relationship. Where there's not peace and harmony, there's some bad blood, right? Where there's a lack of peace in any relationship, it can and it will rob you of your own peace. Right? You can act like it doesn't matter. You can say, well, I'm sort of over it. I'm done with it. I've done what I can. I'm going to wash my hands of it. But the reality is, is that the lack of peace in relationships today will rob you of your very own peace 
And life's too short to live like that, isn't it? So what do we do about this bad blood? And I got to tell you, the Bible says something powerful and incredible about how to deal with bad blood. Some of you are going to receive this message today as a Christian, as someone who has expressed faith in Jesus Christ as being more than just a man that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but a man claiming to be God that died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead. Some people see him more than just as a man named Jesus, but as the Messiah. And I got to tell you the end of the message right now here at the beginning. Can I tell you this? God has many names. Jesus has many names. One of the most fascinating things about the Bible and the way it talks about God is it references him in so many different ways. One of my favorite ways of the names of God is when Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. What a name. Like, he brought peace. That was not just something he did. It was the character of who he actually is. He's the Prince of Peace, and this is one of his names. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to offer peace to mankind when mankind did not have it. Jesus today still is offering peace to mankind. Now, for those of you that are a different place, and maybe you're, you would say, I, I, I can't acknowledge Jesus as the Savior or my Savior, I don't consider myself a Christian, this will not fall on deaf ears. Because every single one of us, regardless of our spiritual background or our faith, has bad blood in relationships, right? We all have tough things. And so today, I hope that you'll receive this message, and I hope that it'll be helpful and hopeful for you this week. But I hope that you'll receive it today, really, because Jesus is offering it to us. Because he's the Prince of Peace. This, this does not have an origin in a man or a woman or a historical figure, but it has its origin in the very person of who God is. God will bring peace, and God has brought peace. So the Bible in Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this, and I'm going to read this, this verse in parts today, but we'll start by this. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul is writing a letter to the city of Rome, and he's writing it to an audience, much of which I would say it's easy to probably guess, according to historians, first century historians, maybe 5 to 10% of people had a faith in Jesus. Jesus' story was, you know, it was blown up all over the known world, right? The story of this carpenter, the story of this guy, this carpenter claiming to be Messiah, the, the, the claims of not just his death, but of his resurrection. Like people are talking about it, the stories are spreading, things are being said. These oral stories are just blowing up all over the known world. Still, the city of Rome, powerful as it was, had very few believers in it. So Paul writes this letter to the Christians there, and to the non-Christians that would read this, he's making his claims of who this Jesus was. So this is 20 to 35 years after Jesus died. He writes this to a group of Christians, small group of Christians in the city of Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the first part of the verse I want to read this to you says this, live peaceably with all. Now look at that as it's on the screen. Let's just think about that. Let's think about the writer and let's think about the audience. Live peaceably with all. Isn't that good? You can go home today and say, man, the message was about having to live peaceably with all. Isn't that easy? No, it's not easy. Live peaceably with all. That simple? Sometimes you can read parts of the Bible and go, yeah, right. Like reality check, Bible. That doesn't exist. 
But this is the command of, of the Bible, of the Scripture, and he's writing to Christians, okay? Hey, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Now, this is weird because the guy writing it had no peace. Let's think about who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul. He lived his life against those people claiming to be Christians. He claimed to be an adversary of Christianity. He actually affirmed people killing Christians, and he killed Christians himself. Before his conversion to Jesus, before his faith journey with God himself, he was an enemy of the very people he's talking to. And let me tell you something else about this guy. After his conversion, we have witnessed in the Bible and other first century historians, you know, guys like Eusebius and guys that wrote a lot about the Apostle Paul, people were after him constantly. And you know why they were after him? They wanted to kill him. Why? They thought he was crazy. In fact, even stories in Acts about the people living in Rome and the leaders of the known world were like, crazy, Paul, you're out of your mind. This man named Jesus? Like, uh, you, didn't you used to kill these people and now you're saying he's real? Like, what are you talking about? You're out of your mind. And he's, this is a man that does not have peace in his life. People are after him. They're after his life. They want to kill him. And he says, live peaceably with all. To fast forward a little bit more his, historical context, Paul went to Rome to defend Christianity. And what happened to him there? We believe, because what we see in Scripture and other first century historians record this, that Paul would die in Rome one day. And you know how he would die in Rome? He died because of his faith. He was imprisoned there for several years. He died in Rome. And the first century um, historians actually write about Paul losing his life there on behalf of his faith. And you know what they did? The Bible says that, or, or, uh, that the Roman law said that you could not crucify a Roman citizen. Paul in court one day says, I'm a Roman citizen, which puts him on a totally different bounds of what the punishment would be for his faith. And so they beheaded him instead. Peter a follower of Jesus, right, that we read about in the New Testament, was not a Roman citizen. They crucified him. A few years later, potentially between two and five years later, they kill Paul and they behead him. But yet he writes to that city that accused him, all the enemies there opposing him, and says, live peaceably with all. And this is a great message for those that have faith in Christ, that our responsibility is to be at peace with people. It's not okay to be okay in a relationship that has no peace, it's not okay. It's not okay. Because this isn't who God is, and we're called to be like Him. It's not okay to be okay in a relationship that doesn't have peace. And so hear this word, not from a pastor. Hear this word from the Scripture that says, be at peace with people. Be at peace. Now, you could still read that and go, okay, <laughs> sounds good. It's like something my mother or my grandmother would put on a quilt and put in a frame, but it's not real. Like, and I say that because like grandmothers have pretty like Bible verses on their, maybe not. Yeah, some of you are shaking your heads. Some of you are saying, not my grandmother. Well, I, it sounds good, but is it real? How can you do that? Any hands that could raise to say, I'm at peace in all of my relationships? I, don't, I, I, I doubt it. Even if you thought that, you probably wouldn't raise your hand because you probably have a sense that no one feels that way. There's no peace in this world. But yeah, there's another part of the verse I want to read to you next. Romans 12, verse 18. It starts this way, if possible. Now we're talking, right? If it's possible, and some of you could, could infer it's not possible. If possible, live peaceably with all. I could tell you about relationships, some of my own life, 
I could tell you about stories I've heard that I've actually heard and, and wanted to say, are you sure? Like, I don't even believe that, that, that to be real. But you know these stories in your own life. You know these stories from friends, from coworkers. People are crazy, aren't they? If you don't think people are crazy, it's because you're crazy. It's, I mean, that's true, right? It makes me think of a country song. I can't tell you how many times I, I, I think that. It makes me think of a country song. I won't even tell you the lyrics. Anyways, yeah, yeah. maybe that's safe for another sermon in a few weeks, right? It makes me think of a country song. People are crazy, right? It's just true. People are crazy. You're crazy. I'm crazy. Like, the world's crazy. It's not possible to live at peace with all men. In fact, Jesus, even though we learn through Paul, he's saying, live at peace with all men. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus himself told his early followers, in this world, you will have trouble. It's not going to be easy. It hasn't been easy. And just because I'm here doesn't mean the future is going to be easy. A lot of people that explore faith for the first time, you know why they struggle early as an infant? And I say infant as like the early stages of having faith in God. Because you could quickly assume I have faith in God, God's on my side, world's going to be easy, right? Some of you as adults, as someone that have kind of taken that journey as an adult, you say, well, I understand that just because I have faith in God doesn't mean life's going to be easy. But the spiritual assumption is not the case. When you truly have faith in God, you can quickly assume that he's going to take care of everything, right? But Jesus said, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In fact, the better English transliteration from the Greek would be turmoil, like life turmoil. That's stronger than trouble, isn't it? Uh, It's been a day full of trouble. And most of you can say, yeah, mine too. Right? You, you just relate to someone going through a tough time because you're going through a tough time. He said, your life will be full of turmoil because sin exists. And when I say sin, I mean any, any, any thought or action that is contrary to the ways of God. And there are plenty of things happening right here among us and among this city, among this nation, and among the globe. Happens every day, all the time, that are contrary to God's heart. You see things, you're like, that shouldn't be, right? God has a design for this world. And this world, because of its separation from God, is everything but Him. We live and we think and we act and we speak in such ways that are contrary to God's heart. And because of that reality, no matter your faith in this world, you will have trouble. So he says, if it's possible, live at peace with all men. Live peaceably with all, if at all possible. And some of you can say, well, it's not. What about the next part of the verse? If possible, look at this, so far as it depends on you. Now, this is a little bit better. So far as it depends on you. Now, this is different, isn't it? The first part of the verse, live peaceably with all, is troublesome in and of itself. And then we have a contingent beginning to the the sentence, right? If it's possible, meaning it might not be possible. Some of you have impossible relationships, and you're facing impossible scenarios. So you know what? You may never see peace in that relationship. True? You may never, ever see peace in that relationship, but so far as it depends on you. You know what this means for you? You know what it means for me? Whether you're a Christ follower or a Christian or not, right? This principle is so powerful. You must do everything you can do to live at peace. 
so far as it depends on you, right? And this verse doesn't need any translation. We'll put the whole verse on the screen right here. But, but look at this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It really doesn't need any translations, but if I could translate, translate it, I would say this. Do everything possible, everything possible to live at peace with everyone. Do everything you can do to live at peace with everyone. I believe it's possible to live at peace in a relationship without having peace in it. Just, just listen to that again. I believe it's, it's possible to have peace in a relationship without having peace in it. Can any, can any of you relate where you say, you know what, I, there's this relationship where there's no peace, but I'm at peace with it. Right? How is it possible to say that? It, it almost doesn't make sense that maybe it's a, it's a family member that, you know what, there's no peace when you see each other at, at Christmas time or you see each other at a family gathering or a reunion. You don't want to talk, but it doesn't bother you anymore. Some of you can come to that place of peace in your life because you literally can say, I've done everything I know how to do. I've done everything I know how to do. and I, I can't do anything else. Part of that can be pride. Part of that, you can quickly say, well, I, listen, I've, I've done my part. I'm waiting on them. No, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit more than that. When Paul says, if it's possible, like, do everything in your human power to make it right. On the other side of that, I don't know how you tend to, one of two different scenarios and how you tend to, to struggle with conflict. And I know there are more scenarios, but I'm just going to share two. Either when there's conflict, you run towards it to fix it, or you run away from it. You do one of two things. I know that there's a few different scenarios where you say, well, my personality is a little bit in between. It just depends on the scenario. It depends on who I get all that. But you're either a pursuer to fix the problem, or you run from it, right? I know there's a middle ground. I know that all that. For, for my personality, I err on the side of fixing it. If I think there's a problem, I'm too much on the offensive, right? I think you can probably do too much sometimes to say, hey, listen, I know there's something. Let's talk about it. Let's get it all out. Then you're uncomfortable, and then you can make it worse. I, I, I can do that. That's me. Hey, we're going to fix this. Like, okay, what's up? You know, and maybe create problems that actually don't exist. Like, I err on that side. Some of you err on the other side. Some of you could err really in between where you say, well, there's a problem. It's kind of weird between us, but we'll get over it. Maybe you can, but maybe they don't. It makes the relationship even more awkward. So what does a Christian do? What does a person do that even maybe doesn't have faith? What do you do when there's bad blood? The rest of the series, we're going to be talking about the steps that you can take that are practical, where you can do something about the bad blood. And so hang in with us the next uh, three weeks after today. We're going to be talking about the practical things that we can do in our lives that can build trust and build relationships. But the first step I want to share today is, is steps by, this is Dr. Brene Brown, and, and these are called the four stages of empathy. And the four stages of empathy are powerful. They're simple, but they're hard, right? Simple, but hard. Look at step number one. Step number one is to take on the other person's perspective to take on the other person's perspective. Now, before I go into to detail on that one, let me say why there's often bad blood is because you don't get them, right? There, there's a difference in the way that they think. There's a difference in the way that they see the world, and, and you just can't bridge that gap. I'm here to tell you, you don't 
have to bridge the gap. It's not possible to fully just change your mind and change your perspective in order to make the relationship right. I told you I'm not going to go political very long, but I'm going to. One reason I, I don't enjoy watching the news or Facebook feed or social media is because I'm just tired of all the arguing. I'm just tired of it. Do I have strong convictions? You better believe it. Do I have like Christians based on my faith and what the Bible says, not what you say or what another political party says? You better believe it. I have strong, strong convictions, but I don't want to fight. Can I tell you something I didn't like about seminary? Guys and gals sitting around the room arguing about theology. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. And they're arguing about their different perspectives and what the Bible says. And, I, and I, by the way, I don't mind conflict. If you came up to me and said, I have a problem with something the way Encounter Church does this, I'd say, Good, tell me about it. Tell me about your perspective. I don't mind conflict, but I don't like it. Right? My personality is not bothered. If Rachel comes up to me and says, Honey, I got a beef for something you said. I know you didn't mean to say it, but it really bothered me. I'm, I'm, okay, tell me. Tell me about it. I don't mind having that conflict, but conflict just for conflict's sake doesn't make sense because there's not, there's not, I don't see where the two roads are marrying. And as a Christian, I want to say this, and I want to say I want to be more Christian than I am American. I, I love America. I love the United States of America. I, I love our history. I love the fact that we can have free, uh, free speech. I love the fact that you can have free speech, right? But there's so much bad blood. Let me tell you this. You know this. It's getting us nowhere, right? It's getting us nowhere. What I'd love to have, ideally, is, is when the parties come together and they talk. And there's some of that happening, right? Hey, let's talk. I have this conviction. You have this conviction. How do we marry? How do we come together and work together for the common good? There will always be differences in perspectives. You know, perspectives. There will always be differences. And, and there are differences in this room right, on how you see, and I can bring up issues of equal rights, issues of, of race, um, pro-choice versus pro-life. There are so many different perspectives and so many different issues, right? But there's so much bad blood is because we ignore, as Christians, if you're not a Christian in this room, you're off the hook with this one, we ignore what the Bible tells us to do. And the Bible tells us to live at peace with men. And I'm here to say you can be at peace with someone else that doesn't see life the way you see it. Are you with me? Anybody? If you're convicted, that's okay. I am too. I, we have to. Christians, we have to be at peace. And I think it's possible to jump on Facebook and read someone's contrary view and not be so angry at them, right? And not be so mad about life. Jesus doesn't call us to judge. Jesus does not call us to convince other people to see life the way that we see it. Jesus calls us to love. Now, he transforms. He changes, right? And there's convictions that I, I know what the Bible says. There's convictions that Jesus carried out. And I, I know I'm opening up so many things that I can't even close. But I'm just going to say this. As a, as a Christian, we have a responsibility to show love in Christ and, and be at peace. And it doesn't mean you're going to see life the way your neighbor sees it. So this first step here, to take on someone else's perspective, I would say rather than jumping to your perspective, what would you do in any relationship? You do everything you can to see their point of view. From politicians to husbands to teachers in the classroom, it's our responsibility to show empathy. And I think part of that step is saying, tell me why you feel that way. 
rather than jumping on a blog and dogging someone, right? Tell me why you see it that way. If you can truly put yourself in, uh, in someone else's view, someone that's pro-choice is angry with someone that's pro-life. Someone that's pro-life is angry with someone that's pro-choice, right? But what they don't do, often we Christians, what they don't do is work to love people on the other side. And we have to. Husbands, wives, let me speak to you for just a moment. If you don't seek to see life the way that they do, meaning your spouse, you're in a whole heap of trouble, aren't you? Right? You're not going to see life the same way. And I would say to have a great relationship, you don't have to. You know what Jesus came to, to preach about? He came to preach about the way that people were interpreting the law was wrong. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said this. You know what I tell you? I tell you this. Jesus was controversial in his teachings, but he loved people. He set them straight too. He loved people. The first step we have to do is see life from the other perspective. Don't, you don't have to agree. You could even say, well, I think God says this. I think the Bible says this. But you jump on the other side to tell me more about how you feel. And you seek to see life the way that they see it. Step number two, suspend your judgment. The second step, I, I would argue this could even be first if I could talk to Dr. Brown about this. Why is it number one first? Like number two first? Like how can you suspend your judgment and then listen well? But the steps say, hey, seek to understand their perspective. And as they're talking about their perspective, you somehow suspend your judgment. Even though you have your own convictions, suspending your judgment. Number three, recognize the other person's emotions. I've read some articles I've read some articles the last couple of weeks I think are bogus. I mean, they're completely bogus. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have not done number one, right? I'm trying, but I've not done number one. I'm surely not doing number two. But you know where I can relate? They're fired up. They actually believe this, and I should respect that as a human being. Christians, I'm going to tell you, if you're in this room and you hear someone with a varying viewpoint than you, you're called to respect and show love and show kindness. That's your responsibility. This article written by the LA Times, a prominent writer, um, fired from the AP, but that's another story, right? right writing for the LA Times. I, I read this article. I, I think every sentence I thought was bogus. But at the end, it captured, I was trying to do this, these steps right at the end. I was like, I, I see why they think that way. I totally don't agree, but I see why they think that way. They actually believe that this is best. Number four, check out number four. Is it on the screen? Communicate that emotion. I didn't have a conversation. I probably never will with this lady who writes for the LA Times. But if I could somehow be with her to honor Christ and to honor what it means to love and to live at peace with people, I would probably say one sentence. I understand why you feel the way you feel. You know what there wouldn't be between us? There wouldn't be any bad blood. Do you think that my arguing would convince her to write a new article the next day on the LA Times? Anybody? Anybody? You don't even know the issue because I ain't opening that up. Do you think that my arguing with her would convince her to write a new article that would be captured by the LA Times and go on, on the Associated Press? No, right? My ultimate goal for her is that she would see God in me, that she would see Christ. Two audiences, I don't know who and only God knows, as Christians, 
What do we do about bad blood? We do everything we can to live at peace with all men so that hopefully the road that's being built is a road that would lead them to be more attractive to Christ, more attracted to God, more attracted to the things that are not of this world, but more attracted to the things that are of God. That's why I ask you to sit in a coffee shop and, and be okay with disagreeing with the writer of the LA Times, right? Or whatever articles you're reading. That's why I ask you to do that. Not to just have a cup of coffee with someone and act like you agree when you don't. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's possible to live at peace with all men so far as it depends on you. I'm burdened, like many of you, on what's going on in our world, but it's no different than the generation that your parents lived in. It's no different than the generation before them. It's no different than the problems. I mean, my goodness, I got fired up. I don't, I don't know how much time I have. It says 15 seconds, but... Let me just say one more thing, and I'm going to wrap it up. Those of you that are driving down the road listening to this podcast, you're, you're probably thinking, keep going, right? I got all the time in the world, right? Well, the, I was just watching a, a movie on the Civil War. I love history. And I'm, I'm looking at the Civil War. I'm like, how, how could they do that? How, did, how in their right minds did they think the treatment of human beings was okay? Like every generation has its problems, right? Like I, I'm not just, my mind is blowing up over some of the things that we thought were okay, in every century, right, in every generation, there's sin. You think, oh, it's just getting worse. No, let me tell you something. It's always been bad. From Cain and Abel, right, to the people that live today, we live in a tough world. But let, me, let me just speak to audiences one, one last time. As Christians, we have to live peaceably with all. So you have to do everything you can, everything you can to live at peace with all people. And that doesn't, and sometimes that just means shut your mouth, right? Sometimes that just means, you know, hey, we don't see the life the same way, but it's okay. Let's have a cup of coffee, right? But it doesn't mean it's take matters into your own hand and live a life of anger and frustration. What good is that going to do you? You know, there are some pastors that could take the platform and convince everyone in, in the room to see life the way that they see it. Now, I want to be American. I love America, but I want to be more Christian. I do believe the Bible says a lot about what's going on, and that's not about today's talk. It's not about what the Bible says about civil rights, not what the Bible says about, about dignity, about life. No, that's not today's message. Today's about bad blood, and there's a ton of it, right? We can do something about that today. And if you're not experiencing that, that, that journey and that faith in God, this message still means something to you because you want peace in your relationships, right? And I'm going to wrap this up by saying this. The only one that can bring peace ultimately in life is Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is the one that offered life. His name was the Prince of Peace, and he offered that life by dying on the cross to offer forgiveness of all sins. You know why it's easy, or not easy, you know why it's easier for me, I really believe, to live at peace with people? Because I know that God loves them the way he loved me. Like, I just know that God loves them. No matter how many times I get cut off in traffic, no matter how many times people don't obey the rules of the road, right? I can just be at peace with it. I'm not at peace with that, by the way. Don't ride with me. You wouldn't think I was a pastor. Like, you just get fired up, right? I don't think, I think this is the wrong guy here, right? We can live at peace because Jesus offered peace. And Jesus wants the people that don't see life the way that you see it. He wants them to have peace with him. He wants you to have peace. And he offered it by dying on the cross. And the great news about what Jesus did and dying on the cross is that he rose again from the dead. So talk about bad blood. There was bad blood 
between us and God, right? Because of our sin. Like we're separated from Him. We don't have a right relationship with Him. And Jesus offered to make it right. The Bible says anyone that would confess that they're a sinner and have faith in Jesus, that He would forgive them of their sins, can have a relationship with Him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Some of you are exploring. Just had a conversation this past week. If you're exploring faith for the first time, we'd love to know it. Mention it through the prayer request on the app. Stop by starting point. Give me a call. We'd love to talk to you about your faith journey. For those of you that are Christians, I hope that you'll be careful to do everything you can to live at peace. Not everything you can to get people on your political platform, but everything you can to live at peace with all men. Let's pray. Father, this isn't easy. That's why we pray. It's not even possible within my own heart sometimes as I look at how difficult this world is and how challenging it is, God. I have my own core convictions, my own difficulties, God, but there's just so much bad blood. And God, for the bad blood that I'm responsible for, I say I'm sorry. For the bad blood that's in, it's in the room only because there's people in the room and we all have it, God, we pray that you would help us and give us wisdom as we live out what it means to have faith in you. I also pray that over these next few weeks as we talk about um, what to do about bad blood, the practical steps that we can take, that we would be open in our minds and open in our heart to do everything possible, God, to live at peace, not just for peace's sake, but so that people that are far from you would find you. God, these things are impossible with man, but they're possible with you. We believe because of the power of you inside of us that we can have joy and we can have peace. Lord, we offer this time to you even over the the next song that we sing. I pray that you would um, minister and encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Over this next song, we're going to sing. We have a time of giving and offering to the Lord. And for those of you that call Encounter Church Home, this is our time where we can give. Some of you are faithfully giving, even through the app, and you uh, mail checks in. So we're thankful for the way that you give to Encounter Church. The future of Encounter Church is exciting. Anybody know that? Um, Through June, we will be in this space, but we have signed a lease on the building, and we hope to start the demolition. Anyone like to knock things down? Yeah, Leo says yes. Everybody join Leo. Nobody else, no, no one else said yes. We, uh, maybe you'll be a part and be invited to, to knock some things down. But we are working on a space here uh, starting pretty soon. So thank you for your ways that you faithfully give. The future of Encounter Church is exciting. It's made possible uh, because of you. If you're a guest, your gift to us can be to fill out the connection card and drop it in the offering basket in just a moment. Let's stand and sing uh, one last song together. <laughs>